Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody? We're continuing our series on 1 John. Uh, John the Apostle is giving us a series of tests that we can use to examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith and also to give us assurance and confidence. So today's passage, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. Our passage is going to be 1 John 2, 28, all the way through 3, chapter 3, verse 10. Before I read it, we're starting with a very sobering eschatological or end times reference. The return of Christ, his imminent return. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive remain, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What an image. A real event that will end the church age from Pentecost till his return. And when I talk to you about this end time scene, what stirs up inside of your soul? Is it terror? Is it confidence that the Lord has returned? Or maybe for some of us it's shame. And I bring this up because uh, this is how John starts this passage. With this image. 2 Corinthians says that we are to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. It is a biblical thing to test ourselves. The Word of God says, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So the intention of this message, and John's intention, is not to uh, scare you. But he says that the purpose of his book is to give you assurance, to make sure that you're right with God. There are four audience types of audience members here today. There are those of you who are leaders and those of you who are confident, um, maybe not a leader in title, but you're leading other people. And it's important for you to know these tests that I'm going to share with you today. There's going to be five characteristics, because that way you'll know the condition of your flock, the people that God has entrusted to you, what is their spiritual condition? The second category of people are believers who feel a sense of shame. The thought of Christ coming back right now. See, I'd be set, right? Because I'm preaching. But what if I was swearing at the patriots? I might feel ashamed in that moment. But some of us feel shame because we haven't had a loving God modeled for us before. We're new in the faith. And so today, from the Word of God, I want you to be encouraged that when you're a new creature and a new creation, you're not perfect. There's an ongoing sanctification process. And maybe the Word of God wants to give you comfort to say, hey, child, you're on the right path. For others of us who are believers, we might feel shame because we have patterns of sin that is not congruent with our identity in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, yet you choose to live in sin, habitual sin, patterns of sin, you're rebelling against your own nature, and you'll be miserable. 
A third category is the scariest one. It's those of us who've been conditioned to believe we're Christian. We've hung around church. We know the lingo. But we're like the people Jesus said in the end. He'll say, Lord, they'll say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I gave in your name. I healed in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, you son or daughter of lawlessness. And so today, as we read these characteristics, I hope it is describing you. And if not, make sure today you get right and you get reconciled with the living God. And the last category is if you're not a believer and you've never claimed to be a believer, we welcome you. We hope you learn from the Word of God. We believe that physical life is through food, but the Word of God is spiritual life. And you've come here because you're thirsty for true spiritual water. So I'm going to read the, uh, the passage. Um, would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? 1 John 2, 28. And as I read, I would like you to do two things. Number one, I want you to see yourself in this passage. Are you someone who's going to be confident? Or are you someone who's going to feel ashamed? Or has God revealed that you're a child of the devil? Not my words, the word of God. And the second thing I'd like you to do is to take notice of all the things God has done for you so you can have right relationship with him. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, you may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you um, for your word today, and I pray, God, that as we study your word, that you would minister to our hearts. For those of us who are shepherding others, encouraging others in the faith, help us to internalize these tests so we can best serve and know the condition of our flock. For those of us who are feeling shame, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us confidence if we're on the right path. 
that we don't need to be insecure because the book of John, 1 John says that the purpose of the book is that we will have knowledge of our assurance in you. It's the intention of your word to give us that knowledge. But if we're in sin, I pray, God, that we would reconcile with you today and we would leave that pattern of sin at the foot of the cross. And if we've deceived ourselves into thinking that we're okay with you, but you're not okay with us, deal with us mercifully, Lord. Teach us today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, there's before we, we get into the five characteristics, what I'm going to do is I'm just kind of going to go through the entire passage, and we're going to pick out five characteristics of a confident child of God. Five characteristics of a confident child of God. But before we get into it, I want to just say a few things. First of all, um, John is going to teach us by contrast. He's going to put the affirmative characteristics of the children of God right next to children of the devil. You know, and that that's normal. What Jesus taught is it is very normal in a local church like this to have legitimate Christians, those who are born again, right next to those who are not real believers, but they might think they're believers. This is the parable of the evil sower, is that there are some who look like wheat, but they're really tares. And at the end of the age, when Christ returns, there's going to be a harvest. And the true wheat will go over here, and the tares will go over here and be burned. That is a very chilling allegory that Jesus gives us, that at the end of time, there's going to be a great division. And that in the meantime, we grow next to one another. Now, it is... Our prayer that all of us are legitimate believers, but the Word of God wants us to test ourselves. Isn't that what we read before? The other um, thing I want to mention is uh, that a lot of times it's very tempting for a preacher like myself, when we see this passage, we say, oh, it's about righteous acts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just tell you, do this. Be righteous. Don't be unrighteous. Let's pray. You know, it's, it's not like that. And that's what um, theologians and ling linguists say is you're taking away the indicatives from the imperatives. Imperatives are commands. But indicatives are what God has done for us. For example, be holy for I am holy. That's what the Lord says. Can we be holy ourselves? If I just say, hey guys, be holy. Give up sinning. Do you think you can just muster it up and say, I'm not going to look at immoral images this week because of my, my grit? Do you think people can be delivered from that kind of sin in that way? I'm going to give up meth this week? You cannot apart from the Spirit of God. But if you realize in Christ what he has done for you, that he has given you all of his riches, that he has entrusted to you his spirit, then you have power, and then you realize that the good works follow from what he has done for us. So that's, we don't want to divorce the indicative or the what God has done from the imperative. So when I read these lists, 
these characteristics, I want you to notice that most of these characteristics is initiated by God on our behalf. Does that sound like a plan? Okay. So let's just start. Um, let's see. <laughs> Where's my glasses? All right. We're going to really live by faith here. It's probably like on my head or something. All right. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> Someone's bummed. It's like, I thought we were going to get out early today. <laughs> Look at 229, okay? If you know, and this is the first characteristic, the first characteristic is that children of God are born of the Spirit. It's not born of the flesh, it's born of the Spirit. Characteristic one, children of God are born of the Spirit, and confident children of God recognize that they are born of the Spirit. Do you understand I could be a child of God, but I might not be confident? See, I've been born of the Spirit, but I don't recognize I've been born of the Spirit. But if I want to have confidence, I read in the Word of God that, wow, God has done a creative miracle in my life. He has given me a new spirit. So, so if you look at 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been what? Born of him. Who's him? Born of God. God has done it. And if you look at 3.9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Why not? Because he has been born of God. This is God's miracle. You may remember in John's gospel, there's an encounter of, of Nicodemus, who is one of the Sanhedrin that came to Jesus at night. And Jesus gives him a little lesson about the things of God. You see, Nicodemus became a Sanhedrin through how? through bloodline, through schooling, probably through ritual. And what Jesus is going to teach him is this. He said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. Why does Jesus use the analogy of wind, the being born of the Spirit, being born again. You've heard that term, being born again, is like the wind. Well, the, the word in Greek is pneuma, which means spirit. And the things of the Spirit is sometimes mysterious and hard to detect. See, when we go outside and we feel the wind, we could see the leaves blow, and we could feel its effects, but we don't see the wind itself. In a similar way, when someone is born of God, we can see the effects, even if we can't quite put our finger on it. Now, you saw Bob up here on the piano? Yeah, give it up for Bob, right? Okay. I taught Bob everything he knows about piano. <laughs> Bob uh, sent me a text this week, and, uh, and happy anniversary to David as well, because he was uh, baptized about a year ago. He and Jing and David got baptized on the same day. And, you know, I see with Bob, I see a change in him, even if I can't quite pinpoint. Now, we have an interesting relationship because, you know, Bob's English. 
is a little bit like my Chinese, except my Chinese is much worse. Bob's English is good. And if you ever hear our Bible studies, you'd wonder what in the world's going on. <laughs> because somehow I'm teaching and he's teaching, and hopefully it's not heresy. <laughs> because like there's a lot of different languages happening, and, and sometimes I see Bob interacting with his uh, non-believing friends, and I see the life of Christ happening in him. And I'll, I'll ask myself, I'll say, wait a minute, did I teach Bob like the sinner's prayer properly? Like I can't quite recall, and what's the Chinese word for like sinner's prayer and all this stuff? And did I? And then I, I had to just step back and say, look, look at the evidence. You see what I mean? Like there's been changes, the way he is in his family, the way he encourages his wife, what his values are. Sometimes I'll ask, is everyone a child of God? You know, kind of in, in like one of the people in the Bible study who's new will say, yeah, everyone is. And Bob will say, no, not everyone. Only those who believe and have received him. I'm thinking, I don't remember teaching Bob that. How does it happen? It's God's work. And you can see the evidence, even if you can't. So being born again is a, is, is a mystery in the spirit. That's what Jesus called it. Um, Kyle is another one, um, another guy up here. I didn't teach him anything on guitar, okay? <laughs> um, you think about Kyle in the last few years. When he first came to this church on the second day, um, he was coming, and he gave me permission to share this. He was in a very different place, and he had come out of a very dark place. It was part of his testimony. And if you remember, I mean, he's an amazing musician. But the difference is this, early in his journey or his spiritual journey when he wrote a song and he sang it the name of the song was dear me it's a beautiful song but it was just an existential angst and and depression and difficulty of going through a rough time apart from god i hope i get that right <laughs> now as he creates songs so many of them just honor the Lord. They're amazing songs. And by the way, being an artist is not about being commercial, per se. I mean, I'd love for that to happen. But we have some really amazing artists in this church, and Kyle is one of them. But it's, we never had a Bible study. Kyle comes over all the time. We study the Word. I never had a Bible study. I said, okay, these songs, forget those songs. Those are worldly songs. Forget the love songs. Now we're going to do worship songs. We never had that conversation. What happened was something happened inside of him. There's evidence. Hey, Mike, I want, I'm going to lead a Bible study with some of my friends. And we're going to practice. Like, where did that come from? Tell me where it came from. Spirit. The first characteristic of a confident child of God is they're born of the Spirit. And no one can take credit for it except God. Jen's mother, I think you, some of you might know her story. It's a crazy story. Jen's mother was given up as a baby in Taiwan. She was basically just exploited as a child, tied to poles, had to earn money on the streets by the people that were taking care of her. Uh, she was sold into prostitution, and then the rest of her career was living as a madame uh, in, in escort clubs, high-level escort clubs, high-level police corruption, high-level political corruption, and hey, that's, that's the background. When I met her mom, one of the first visits, she ripped up an entire Bible. It was very traumatic. She goes back to Taiwan. She calls Jen one day. 
I'm a Christian now. And I, and I was thinking, hmm, what, what angle is she working this time? And then we found out, like, this woman who's uneducated, taught herself three languages, survivor, worked her whole life in that industry, in the escort clubs. She said, I read in the Bible that it said that adulterers, drunkards will not enter the kingdom of God. And she quit her job without anything lined up. And God provided other income for her. How can I explain that? Was it an external religious pressure? It's, it's God. God is real. And unless, now we can lead people to Christ. We can have them pray, pray prayers. I might have you raise your hand. You can come up for prayer. You can go in Angel Stadium and go on the grass and have someone pray for you. There's nothing wrong with that. And God works through that. But somehow with that, there's a real legitimate or there needs to be a birth in the spiritual realm. Amen? So what we see here, the first thing that John has pointed out is that as a test, so we can be confident children of God, is we put our confidence that God has done a creative work and made you born again. And somehow by belief, by receiving, you can become born again. The second characteristic, look at 3.1. And I love this, this verse. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. In a lot of translations, unfortunately not the ESV, um, there's an exclamation mark. Most of them have, ex and, and it's like John, who's, who's downloading all this doctrine to us, is saying, wow, you really got to take that in. That God, like, he, he says in another translation, like, what manner of love is this? How great is the love he has lavished upon us? Behold, what manner of love is this? That God would initiate and call you his child. Did you earn it? Did you do it? Elsewhere in the, in the scriptures, there's an image of adoption. That there's a loving parent that has a desire to love on a child. And what has the child done to earn that love? Hasn't done anything. And so John just like steps back and says, what manner of love is this? And so the second characteristic is that confident children of God recognize they've been adopted by a loving Heavenly Father. Do you recognize that you were adopted by a loving Heavenly Father? Now, for some of us, we've had, we all have had imperfect fathers. Some of us had absentee fathers, emotionally or physically absent. So it's very hard for us to picture a loving Father, a loving God. But we have to learn about Him. You know, in a marriage relationship, it's not only cognitive. <laughs> you know, there's an emotional dimension to it. I don't know if you heard about that. But there's an emotional, and, and you know, some of us theologians, we don't like that part of it. Just show me the doctrine. Just teach me the word. Friends, we got to take that in. We really need to, if you want confidence in your standing in Christ, you really need to meditate and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that he adopted me. That he loves me, that he initiated, that he made the first move. So the first characteristic is being born of the Spirit. The second characteristic 
as we were adopted by a heavenly father. The third characteristic is in 3-2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we will know when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Confident children of God resemble their father. See, here's, here's the deal. You resemble someone. You probably resemble your earthly parent, but my kids don't resemble me. Like I got one. Jeremiah looks like me. The rest don't, okay? But some of our genetics usually resemble the father. Well, spiritually speaking, you resemble your father. But the question is, who's your father? Who's your spiritual father? If you resemble God, there's a good chance that you've been born again and that you've been adopted as a child. But if you resemble the other father, the devil, if your lifestyle, the patterns of sin, resemble the devil, the word of God says, you ought to check that. You ought to check that. You know, let's get positive. We won't get too intense right now, okay? Everyone's getting a little intense. I didn't call you children of the devil, okay? The word of God says harsh things at times. Okay. I'll give you a fake Michelangelo story. <laughs> well, it's a story that I studied, but Alexis, my daughter, said, this sounds like one of those fake stories, but fake or not, I'm using it. <laughs> the legend is Michelangelo and his little helper. You know, Michelangelo did this amazing sculpture called David, and Michelangelo looks at the big block of marble. And he says, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And his helper says, what do you mean it's beautiful? It's just a big slab. And Michelangelo said, I forgot that you don't see what I see. And that's what God, how he looks at you. Is that God gives you a new name. God gives you a new identity. He created you. You didn't create you. You might think you know what you are. Teenagers are great at this. God bless all teenagers. I'm an old guy right now. I don't, I'm not going to talk about my teenagers, those other teenagers. <laughs> teenagers have a front usually, right? You know, a lot of times it's for survival, right? You project an image, and it's the purpose is self-protection or trying to do self-discovery, right? We all do that. Adults do that as well. Oh, this is who I am. But God might say, that's not who you are. This is who you are. I was praying for a, a brother recently, and I felt spiritually that this guy, I don't know how or where, is going to preach to people, either on the street, in a context like this. And I mentioned that, and I prayed that over him. And he said, oh, that's not me. What God does is he sees the marble, and he starts carving you, and creating you, and putting you through stuff. Because he's going to create the person he wants you to be. So the third characteristic is confident children resemble their father. And I alluded to those who say that I am just like God, like the Pharisees. Now I want you to notice that Isaiah the prophet, like 
Isaiah the prophet was in the presence of God. This is in Isaiah 6.5. And if you are in Christ, if you're in the presence of God, do you know what your response is? Your response is, I am undone. I am a man with a dirty heart. I am a man with unclean lips. Meaning that I say terrible things. I do terrible things. I'm a sinner. That's exactly what Isaiah said. And then the cherubim took a coal out of the fire and put it to his lips. And it's a sign of purification. In other words, in the presence of God, you don't clean yourself. You don't purify yourself. Who does? God. What's your role? Your role is to say, God, here I am in all my glory. I'm a messed up person. I have a lot of bitterness. I have a lot of pride. I have selfishness. I have these things going on in my life. Help me. Show me. And he's going to give you insights. I want you to compare Isaiah's response to the Pharisees. In John 8, Jesus is bantering with the Pharisees. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Don't debate with Jesus. That's my advice. Because if you debate with Jesus, who's going to win, guys? He is going to smoke you. And what happened is they're having a little battle of who's your father. <laughs> and uh, the, the uh, Pharisees are testing Jesus and they're saying, Abraham's our father. Who's your father? You're, a, you, you're an illegitimate child. They're messing with Jesus. And in John 8, verse 39, they answered him. They said, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Skipping ahead, he says, in verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. This is chilling because the Pharisees, they knew the word. They knew the Bible, but they didn't live it out. They thought they were okay. and. For some of us, we might proclaim, oh yeah, I'm saved. I, I asked Christ into my heart. I, I said a prayer. I raised my hand. And again, not denigrating that. Only God knows what went on. But what's of the flesh is of the flesh. And what is of the spirit is of the spirit. That leads us to number our characteristic number four. And this is uh, verse three. Three, three. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, when Isaiah was in the presence of God, he confessed his sins. When the Pharisees were in the presence of God, they justified themselves. How do we purify ourselves, people? If we have sin in our hearts, how do we get free? This scripture says we do what? Hope in him. Thus, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, if we're with God, he's pure. If we hang around with him, we will naturally become more pure. If you think about 
the story of the prodigal son. You know the story. The prodigal son asks his father for an inheritance. The father represents God. And he goes and he lives this crazy, sinful living for a while. He spends all of his money. He doesn't go broke on the first day. He kind of lives it up. He has his fun. And he finds himself in another country living in pig slop with the pigs. And then he comes to his senses. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to go explain myself to God. (laughs) I'm going to go explain myself to the Father. No. He put his hope in the character of his father. You know what I mean? Like, he's in sin. He's in the pig slop. But he's not a pig. He's a son. And he realizes, the only thing I can do is put myself at the mercy of my father. Because my father, he might just allow me to live like a slave. Or like a servant. And he goes there. And what's what's the father doing? He's standing here like this saying, you good for nothing. Get out of here. Remember, you didn't want to be here. Get out of here. You're dead to me. Is that how God does it? No, he says, he's there waiting, embraces, puts a ring on his finger, you know, kill the fatted calf. My son has returned. That's your God. Who cleaned him up? Who got him out of the pig slop stuff? Who gave him a new robe? God did. Some of you might be playing around in pig slop. And if you're his son, that's not what God has for you. Don't try to clean yourself up. It's not going to come out. (laughs) You need a new robe. And the only one that can provide it for you is the living God. You just need to recognize him for who he is and then return back to him. The fifth characteristic. Okay, now we're going to get into behavior. How is it? I want you to notice something about this passage. This passage is not saying make sure you practice righteous deeds. That's not what the point is of this passage. And it's not saying don't be lawless, even though it's talking about it. What it's saying is this. If you see in yourself or you see in another person a pattern of righteousness, there's a good chance that that person, I mean, I'm saying good chance, John is more black and white. That person is righteous before God, or that person is a child of the devil. This is given in the word of God as a sign. So don't fool yourselves. If you're living like a renegade against God, but you come to church every week, and you say some Christian words, and like, come here, you know, come to God. The point is not condemnation. The point is just be real. Look at verse Seven. And John is being, he's an old guy at this point. He's seen it all. He was there from the beginning. He was an apostle. He was there when Jesus was on the cross. He took care of Jesus' mother. He was there at Pentecost. He planted churches. He's seen it all. And now he's an old guy and he's going to give you some wisdom and he's going to talk to you. He'd say, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous, as God is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. If the seed of God is in you, if you're truly born again, yet you're engaging in this sin, you are miserable, and you know it. At least if you're a heathen, go out and live it up. At least you can party and enjoy it because you don't have a conscience is seared. But if you've tasted of the things of God and you're partaking in the pig slop, woe is you, you will be miserable. You will be forever miserable. But it's not condemnation. It's come back, child. But it's also a discerning, it's a training in discernment. I want to just be clear about something. We're not perfect. And the word of God doesn't mean you never sin. It's talking about patterns of sin. We, we're called to be holy, but is anyone holy? I was on a college campus in New Hampshire, and there was a crazy like cult leader. And he said, oh, every single one of you is going to hell. And there's Sister Margaret. She hasn't sinned in seven years. I was like, whoo, okay. Well, I don't know if anyone here has, has been like Sister Margaret, but in the first chapter of 1 John, it says, if you say you are without sin, you're a liar. Do you understand that? So he's, he's addressing the church. So God knows that we're going to sin. But what he's addressing here is this leviciousness, this, this cheap grace that I'm just going to say my prayers and live wild, and he's going to be okay with me. Do you really think God's a chump? Do you really think God's going to buy that? His word, The word of God says no over and over again. I love my Bob. Where's Bob? Bob, you awake? Yeah? Is he perfect? Not perfect. Okay? I got permission for this, but uh, his girlfriend told me, Professor, why don't you tell Bob to quit smoking? You know? Shh, don't tell anyone Bob smokes. Okay? He gave me permission. Don't worry. I even used the smoking emoji so he would know. Okay? He said, okay, you can do whatever you want, Professor. And this is what I said to Bob. And I said, look, how many times have I talked to you about smoking? We've been discipling each other for like, you know, before baptism for about two years. I think I mentioned it once because Jing was on my back. <laughs> See, now you're really going to feel it right now. This is real love. My point and what I said is this. God's cleaning the whole house. He took a heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. He put a love, a new love for God in there. A compassion for lost people. Took away pride. Added humility. He's doing it. He's cleaning the inside out. The smoking is going to come. Like I said this morning, 20 years from now, if you're still smoking, but that kind of change and we got to be careful we're not like the Pharisees don't do this don't do that you know what I'm saying you're born of God the spirit of God dwells in you we're the temple of the Holy Spirit Bob is an evangelist he's going to be more of a leader he's going to be there for his wife and his children and let the power of God clean the temple bring the conviction but everyone's path is different. I've had friends that just gave up meth like that in a miraculous way. 
I've had friends that got saved and God just, they used to have like a sailor's mouth swearing and then God just changed it. For others, it's just like a process. You know, it, 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 it's different for different people. Okay, so I'm not talking about condemnation, but there has to be an overall recognizable pattern of righteousness. Because finally, look at 10. By this, it is evident. Everyone say evident. Who wrote that? I wrote that? God wrote that. It's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Next week we'll be talking about love. And I just want to conclude with, I guess, two, well, a couple more exhortations, but um, Brian also gave me permission of this. Of, uh, is Brian here? Okay. You know, the comedy clubs, I don't know if you know this, they can be very dark places. And I'm a big supporter. We've had conversations. I support the arts. I really respect people who are trying to write screenplays, act. It's very, very difficult. God is the true artist. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator. His image is in us, so we create. Okay, so artists, City Bible Church artists, keep creating. But we were having a conversation. And, you know, Brian was saying, man, that world is just so dark. I just felt that I had to get out of it. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like moving forward. But did anyone in the church pull him aside and say, Brian, you can't go in that place. They said 15 swear words. Do we do that? No. Spirit of God. Jocelyn did it. She does stuff like that. I'm telling you. Two exhortations to finish up. See, pretty much this whole message is indicative, declarative statements, all the things God has done. But here are the things he's going to command us to do. He says, abide. (laughs) What verse is that? Okay, right here it says abide, right? Now little children, abide in him. You got that, Kevin? Abide. You write it down? He also says, hope in him. Those are the two exhortations. John 15, 4 through 7 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless you abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever aids in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter abided, Judas did not. And both of them looked like branches. The second exhortation is hope. And I'm really encouraged that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to to be holy as he is holy. But just like Isaiah, just like the prodigal son, you just say, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a woman of unclean lips. I've been astray. I've been in the pig slop. Take me back, Lord. Put your hope in Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Put your hope in the spiritual birth. Put your hope in the loving Father who adopted you. Put your hope in the Spirit's ability to live out a righteous life through you. So in sum, the characteristics of a confident child of God is they are one, born of God. Two, adopted by God and loved by Him first. Three, they resemble God. Four, they put their hope in God, which has a purifying effect. And five, there's a pattern of overall righteousness. Let's pray. 
Lord God, I thank you uh, for your word today. Thank you that you've given us these tests so we, we can examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. For, for those of us who are ministering to others, let us use what is in 1 John to give us discernment and eyes to see what is happening, happening around us so we can better serve the kingdom. And Lord, if we are found to be ashamed at your second coming, if the thought of your coming back makes us feel shame, help us, Lord, to either confess those patterns of sin and give them up for good, Or give us a gentle confidence that we're on the right path. Give us more confidence in who you are and what you've done for us. And for those of us who are outside of faith, whether we're self-deceived or we never heard, I pray that this is the day of salvation, that if we just, with our hearts, say, God, I need you to forgive me. Jesus, I need you to forgive me and wash me clean with your blood. So. You can come into my life and rule my life and make me the person you want me to be. We invite you to do that, Lord. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.